Okay, hey, I want to ask you if you would to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, and then we're going to be in Luke 9. There's a Bible app event for this, so that can be helpful to you. If you have a smartphone with the Version Bible app, um, you can uh, hop on there and all the scripture will be there. There's this mistake that preachers make. I know what you're thinking, yeah, which one? Because preachers make a lot of mistakes, but this one has to do with assumptions. Preachers generally tend to think that people know what they're talking about. And uh, that is not always the case. Don't say amen. Uh, But that's not always the case. People don't always know what we're talking about because we throw a lot of church jargon around. And I think we feel like, well, the average Joe in the seats, he knows all about this stuff. So we have to figure out a way to just throw it out there and then move on. And that's not always the case. Because we live in a world where people kind of come and go from church and because a lot of people don't have a church background, some of the words we use maybe aren't as well-known as we'd like to think. Words relating to church furniture, even. For example, I literally was talking to someone, it was in the past year, about the word pew. And they said, you know, all my life, when someone said a pew, I thought it was like pew, 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 you know, on a science fiction laser kind of thing, right? Yeah, no, well, the pew is the seat that is in a church. But you've probably noticed, I finally stopped saying it. I don't say pew Bible even anymore. I say, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in a rack in a seat near you. Because I'm trying to not do what pastors do all the time, just assume that you know what we're talking about. The word foyer. Where's a foyer? Are they the guys that make the mallow cups? No, that's boyer, right? Yeah. So, you know, and, and a foyer is an archaic word, and it has to do with a lobby of a public building, whether it's a courthouse or a church is irrelevant. That's what that word means. So you probably noticed I use lobby. I was actually scolded for that one time. About 30 years ago, a woman said it's a foyer, not the lobby. But yeah, no, and she was sweet, but she was wrong, right? Yeah. Or, or how, about, how about this? The sanctuary. Let's go into the sanctuary. What, oh, do you have rare birds in there or rare animals? You're not talking about one of those sanctuary cities, are you? You don't have one of those here, do you? No, 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 no. We're talking about the auditorium that we consider sacred because this is a place where we worship God and we speak to him and he speaks to us. We don't just do it with furniture. We do it with events as well. For example, a pastor will be saying, this dates back to the time of the Exodus. And people are like, I'm not really sure I know what Exodus means. Of course, it's when Israel left Egypt and uh, headed to the promised land. Or the Babylonian captivity. Yes, this has to do with the Babylonian captivity. I gotta be honest with you, I was probably a pastor for two years before I figured out what that was, right? And, and it's just part of our culture, part of us, who we are. We do it also with this week from Palm Sunday to Easter. We call it Holy Week. And people are like, I don't even know what Holy Week is. Well, it begins today and it goes through next Sunday, Easter morning. And it's comprised of a number of different events that happen on different days. For example, we call this Palm Sunday. I'm going to explain that in a short time. And, and then, you know, there's Monday when we remember things that Jesus did doing with the temple, fig tree. Tuesday, Wednesday, some people call Wednesday Spy Wednesday. I'll let you Google that. You can figure that out. Thursday, we call Monday Thursday. How many have heard that? Monday Thursday. Put your hand up. How many know what it means? What does Monday mean? I'm looking for one hand. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. I could tell you anything, right? You'd have to believe me because you don't know. What it dates back to is 1966 with the mamas and the papas. Monday, Thursday. Not exactly, not exactly. And then we talk about Good Friday. And Good Friday, of course, is the day Jesus was crucified. And one might say, how is that good? But it's good because that is when Jesus paid for our sins. It's good for us, Good Friday. And then we come up to Saturday, he's in a tomb, and Sunday, he's raised from the dead. 
And so generally as your pastor, rather than assume that you know these different kinds of things, I, I try to explain them. And, and Palm Sunday is one of those things I try to explain. Palm Sunday is when we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. He's riding as a king celebrated by the people as the coming king, the, the Messiah. And later that week on Thursday, he will celebrate Passover. The Passover dinner where they remembered just before they left Egypt, the people of Israel remembered that they had taken blood of a lamb and they had put it on the doorposts of their house so that when the angel of God's wrath came and visited the people of Egypt, it would pass over their house. So because of the blood of the lamb, they were spared the wrath of God. And Jesus, as he's celebrating that meal on Monday, Thursday, with his disciples, Jesus says, this is about me. I'm the lamb, and my blood will be spilled so the angel of God's wrath does not visit you. And they're like, huh? How about that? And they probably didn't get it until it was all over. But Jesus was teaching that to them on that Thursday. And then Friday, Good Friday, Jesus has been tried. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been spit upon. He's carried his cross up to a hill called Golgotha. And he's going up there. He can't even carry it. Someone else has to come and help him. He's beaten so badly. And then the nails are placed. And he's hung, crucified, killed. And then he goes into the grave. And that's Good Friday. Saturday, his body's just chilling. Literally, he's stone cold in the grave. And Sunday, (laughs) an angel rolls back the stone, and Jesus is alive, risen from the dead. That is Holy Week. Those are the events. We're talking today about Palm Sunday, and I want to read to you from the Gospel of Luke, Luke's account of those events on that Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, the Sunday before Easter Sunday. So Luke chapter 19 is where your Bibles are open to. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you uh, nearby, and you can grab one and you can find Luke chapter 19. We're going to begin at verse 29. It says, As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they went, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some Pharisees, that is the religious professionals, some Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now you might want to turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be there for the rest of our time together. But before we leave this passage, this, this is Jesus that we just read about, traveling down the Mount of Olives into the city of David, into Jerusalem. His end goal is the cross, and he knows that. He will take up this cross and then he will be taken up onto this cross. 
And so it is not a pleasant journey, even from this point, even though people are screaming, blessed is he who come in the name, he knows where he is going. He has set his face, the Bible says, as flint, which means his purpose is hard and unmovable. He's going to the cross. It will be a difficult journey. It is a hard path to travel that he is on. The most stressful week of his life is before him. And it will end in his arrest. It will end in mock trials. It will end in severe beating and torture. And it will end in his crucifixion and death on the cross. And that's the walk. That's the path. That's the journey that Jesus was embarking upon. I feel like, in a sense, that as we look at Jesus traveling this Palm Sunday road, we can kind of learn to travel our own road. And this will kind of make sense to you as we move on. We can learn to travel the road that God has laid out before us as individuals to travel. And we can learn to travel it the way Jesus travels the Palm Sunday road. Now, I want to tell you in advance what I'm going to talk to you about because I really want you to be able to grasp what we're saying today. First, we're going to observe three things today. First, we're going to observe that Jesus knows who he is, and he wants others to know who he is. Jesus knows who he is, and he wants others to know who he is. If you don't know who Jesus is, then Christianity and going to church and being in in Sunday school or a small group is going to feel a lot like just going somewhere to learn some moral tales, you know, like Aesop's fables are good too, and so are those things in the Bible. If you don't know who Jesus is, really, that's all it amounts to. Jesus knows who he is, and he wants you to know who he is. Second, we're going to see that Jesus wants you to know who he is and what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's about. He's going to the cross. And third, (laughs) Jesus knows what this will mean. He understands that who he is and what he's doing has implications, and he wants us to know those as well. In fact, what he is doing will require that all humankind consider how we live our lives. Because you cannot look at the God of the universe dying on a cross on your behalf and go, huh, how about them potatoes? It just doesn't end there. Not if you're thinking. So as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he's preparing to take up his cross. By the way, did you know that Jesus says to his followers, you need to be willing to take up your cross. In fact, you can't even follow me if you don't. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 9, and and you'll see that in the text, okay? Luke chapter 9, we're going to start reading at verse 18. We're going to read maybe 10 verses or so here. Jesus is with his disciples, and Luke says, Once, when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say that you're one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man, now pause for a moment, let's not make assumptions. When Jesus says the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. It's a messianic that is having to do with the Messiah 
It's a messianic title. So when he says the son of man, he's saying me. Okay, listen again, verse 22. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to read this verse many times today. Go back to verse 23 and listen again. Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Take up your cross daily. Follow him. Jesus is traveling this road on Palm Sunday toward the cross, and we travel a similar road, and we do that because we know who Jesus is. In fact, Jesus introduces the question of his identity in verse 18. It says once when he was praying with his disciples in private, he said, who do the crowds say I am? Why is Jesus asking this? You got to know, it's not because Jesus doesn't know what they're saying. It's not like if I, Pastor Steve, were to say, hey, Linda, Linda Lope, what does the ladies' Bible study say about me when I'm not around? That's not what Jesus is doing. Yeah, Linda shook her head. I think she said, you don't want to know. Is that what you said? Yeah, I love that. I love that, right? Jesus isn't doing that because Jesus knows the heart of humankind. He understands this. This is a teaching moment in Jesus' mind. Why is he asking this? Because unless his followers know his identity, they're not going to travel the road that they must travel. Unless you know who Jesus is, you'll never follow him. And one of the things that this passage reminds us of in this dialogue that Jesus is unparalleled. This text shows us that Jesus is unparalleled because they begin in verse 19 to say, well, there's a number of opinions about who you are. Some people think you're John the Baptist. There's some other people, they think you're Elijah, came back from the dead. Some other people, they feel like maybe you're just some other old prophet that came back to life, but uh, he wasn't. And, And if Jesus had been those people, I don't know that I would be here this morning doing what I'm doing. I don't know that you would be here doing what you're doing. I mean, if he was John the Baptist, well, as far as I know, there's no first church of John the Baptist down the street from us, is there? Right? Or if he was Elijah, nope, there's no, no church of Elijah that meets anywhere. <laughs> or if he was one of the ancient prophets, is there a church of the ancient prophets of long ago? No, he is none of those things. He isn't even comparable to those things because he is so much above those things and those people. He's different from everyone else. He is God in the flesh. He is preeminent. He is the Lord. He is unparalleled. Peter says that he is the Messiah, God's Messiah, or the Christ. That's the Greek understanding of Messiah, that word. He's a holy one of God. Look at verse 20 and look at the conversation that ensues after that. He says, who do you say I am? Uh, Peter answers, God's Messiah. Uh, Peter has said this before, by the way. Peter was speaking back in John chapter 6, in verse 69, 
And, and Jesus asked, do you guys want to leave? And Peter said, no one else has the words of life. He says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what's Jesus, I'm sorry, yes, what is Jesus' response to this? When Peter says, you're God's Messiah, how does Jesus respond? Verse 21, he warns him. He says, don't tell anybody that. Why? Why? Why did Jesus not want to get this out at this time? Here's why. And listen to this. Because the idea that Jesus is the Lord's Messiah carries incredible implications that any thinking person knows. The religious people knew it. And when they heard that people were thinking he was a Messiah, that's when they got to work to stop him. The pagan leadership knew it. They were a little bit threatened by him. Herod sure was at his birth. Because if he's the Lord's Messiah, that has implications that can't be ignored. The disciples knew it. And you and I know it too. We know that if Jesus is who he said he was, we cannot go on living oblivious to that reality. And when you recognize who he is, it will change the way you walk. Your walk will be altered. It will be different. And your journey will actually be on a different road. We walk the walk that we walk as Christians because we know who Jesus is. And we travel this road because we know what Jesus is doing. Verse 22 is where he says, the son of man will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Jesus knows what he's doing. We know what he's doing. Jesus is intentionally paying sin's penalty. Even on Palm Sunday, he has this in his mind because he's already experiencing and has been experiencing some of the rejection he'll experience. Teacher. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. <laughs> and on Thursday, the hammer will begin to fall at an alarming rate. That's what he's detailing in verse 22. Rejected by the elders and the chief priests, teachers of the law. And Friday, it will seem like it's all over. He must be killed, he says. Death on the cross. So Jesus is riding this donkey into Jerusalem, traveling this road because he knows what has to be done. He will pay sin's penalty on Friday. He knows who he is, and he knows what he's doing. And as we look back, we know what he's doing too. He is doing away with sin and death, and he knows that it will work. You understand, as Jesus goes to the cross to die, he might do what every other person in history did when they went to the cross and died. Stay dead. That's what everybody does when they go to the cross and die. They stay dead. Unless what he is doing is honored by the Father. And the Father's wrath is satisfied so that through the blood of Christ shed on the cross, the angel of God's wrath will pass over those who are covered by the blood. Jesus understands, I'm going to do away with sin and death and this will work. He says in John 14, as he's preparing his disciples for for his imminent arrest and his death. He says, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. Don't miss the importance of that last phrase. Because I live, you will also live. Because I died for your sins, they can be forgiven. And because I was, because I arose, you know that the sacrifice for your sins was effective. 
Nobody else has done that. But when I come back from the grave, on the third day, he says in verse 22, when I am raised to life, yeah, then you'll know that this journey is worth taking. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows what he's doing. And we travel this road because we know what it means to us. We know how we should walk. There's that verse 23 again. Pastor Steve keeps coming back to that verse. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's a walk of self-denial as a Christian. It is a walk of putting others before yourself. It is a walk of putting the kingdom as the priority in your life. Jesus talks about that here in this text that we're in, in Luke 9, and 10 chapters later, he walks that walk of self-denial. So Jesus isn't just all talk. He does it. He walks, in a sense, with unreserved sacrifice. And that's the way we want to walk, with nothing held back. We respect that in sports. NFL legend Vince Lombardi, after whom the Lombardi Trophy, the Super Bowl Trophy, bears his name, he was an NFL coach, he said this. Listen to this statement. He's quoted all over the place. Inspirational, motivational speakers, lots of people use Vince Lombardi quotes. Pastor Steve does too. Listen to this statement. I firmly believe that any man's finest hours, his greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear is that moment when he has worked his heart out in good cause and lies exhausted on a field of battle victorious. Understand what he's saying? Unreserved sacrifice. If you think about it, it's pretty crazy that we would apply that to sports without bothering to apply it to our lives. And it would be even more crazy not to apply that to our spiritual life. Jesus wants us to apply it to our walk with him. That's what he's talking about in verse 23 when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Such language, such speaking, such ideas stands in bold opposition to that of fallen humankind. Because we're not about (laughs) self-denial. We're about our rights. I got rights, baby. Don't you know that? When one takes up one's cross, one gives up one's rights. Cross carriers in the first century are prisoners condemned to die. Now, in our world, if a prisoner is condemned to die, he still has certain rights. You can have a religious person there. You can have your last meal. You get these certain rights. But in the first century, that was not the case. As soon as they said, send him to the cross, as soon as an authority said that, your rights are gone. No rights. That is why the soldiers could torment Jesus the way they did. That is why they could beat him so that he was almost beyond recognition because he had no rights. He was taking up his cross. They had this game they played. They called it the game of the king. And if you go to Israel and you go into the praetorium there, you can see etched in the stone is this thing. It looks like a, maybe a game that somebody drew on a piece of paper when you were a kid. Did you make like games sometimes, like the game of life? And they'd they'd throw lots or dice and they'd, they'd move the character along and it would say, ah, 
put him in a royal robe. <laughs> he thinks he's a king. They roll it again. Put a crown of thorns on his head. And they do that and roll it again. Ah, take a reed and beat that crown of thorns into his head. And then they'd roll it again. You don't do that to someone that has rights. But a condemned prisoner has no rights. When you take up your cross, you lay down your rights. You lay down your right to be angry. You lay down your right to hold a grudge, no matter what that person did to you. You lay down your right to be bitter. You lay down your right to be offended. You lay it all down for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. You see, walking with unreserved sacrifice means we die to our selfish ways. We die to the kinds of things that Jesus, I'm sorry, that the Apostle Paul speaks of in the book of Galatians. Paul's writing to Christians, just like you and me, in a city called Galatia. And he writes to them and he says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. But just in case you don't want to admit what they are, he doesn't say that, I'm saying that. I'll list them. And then he lists them. Doesn't list them all. But he says things like this. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Take up your cross. Put those things down. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. When Jesus walked this road on Palm Sunday, that's what he was doing. He was, he's God for heaven's sake. And he's laying down that right in an act of self-denial, unreserved sacrifice. We want to walk with unreserved sacrifice. And we want to walk as well with an unhidden commitment. I see this as I see Jesus traveling into the city on Palm Sunday. Up until this time, Jesus has been working behind the scenes because he, kind of, he knows that they're mad at him. He knows that they want to arrest him. But now, Palm Sunday, no more hiding. And it wasn't that he was embarrassed or afraid beforehand. It just wasn't the right time. But now it's the right time. And so Jesus says, I am traveling with unhidden commitment to my task. And he's telling us to do that too. In fact, in verse 26 of Luke 9, where we've been reading, he says those words, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angel. When I was a kid, I had a well-meaning teacher say to me, so you better not be ashamed of Jesus or he'll be ashamed of you, like it was a vengeful thing that Jesus had going there, right? Jesus is not vengeful in that way. Don't see that as a revenge kind of thing. Just see it as a real thing, that if you're ashamed of your commitment to Christ, that's just downright embarrassing to him. It's not like he's choosing to be ashamed of you. When I'm ashamed of Christ, my behavior is an embarrassment to him, and rightly so. I want to walk with an unhidden commitment. Do you mind if I tell you a story about my family growing up that fits with this? doesn't much matter if you mind. I'm going to do it. By the time I was born, my mother and father had developed a very strong commitment to Christ. They hardly ever skipped church. It was just, that was their commitment. I grew up on a farm, and that farm was a multi-generational farm. Um, A a guy named John Shields came from Ireland, 
and purchase that land that I grew up on like five generations earlier. So dad and mom's farm was the family farm and it was the host farm for our family reunion. And I can remember after a family reunion, we'd all be sitting around in the evening, me and mom and dad, maybe my brothers or whatever. And mom would say something like this. Well, I counted, there were 71 people here today at the house. Wow, that's a pretty big family reunion to host. If it was on a Sunday, we piled into the car, mom and dad and the kids, and we drove 23 miles to the Alliance Church in Clarion for Sunday school and for church. And then when a pastor prayed, you guys need to be in the car as soon as the pastor prays, get out as soon as he says amen, no visiting because we got to get back. We're having a family reunion at home. Hurry up. And so sure enough, we'd pile out of the church into the car, drive 30 minutes to get home and arrive at 1230 for the family reunion that we were hosting that very minute. I remember pulling in the driveway. They'd already be there. They'd be playing softball out in the field behind, beside the house there. People would be standing at the door saying, Mary, unlock the door. We have food. We need to take it in, you know? <laughs> a lot of that family didn't attend church. That's why they were there already. And to be honest, as a little boy, I felt a little bit self-conscious when we were rolling into the driveway at 1230, seeing my cousins there who had already been there waiting for us to unlock the house. And I kind of wondered, Do they feel like we're overly religious? Do they feel like maybe we're religious fanatics? We're zealots. Boy, Glenn and Mary Shields, they're the holy rollers in this family. I just kind of always wondered that. Well, it's a half century later, and I've become the family pastor. (laughs) I really have. I do the weddings, and I do the funerals. That's kind of good and bad all at the same time, right? (laughs) When I'm with those families, uh, we don't have family reunions anymore, but we have gatherings at weddings and funerals. And I was just at a funeral with uh, some of them recently. My Aunt Caroline died, and I did her funeral. When I'm with them, you know what we do? We reminisce. We catch up. What are you doing? What are your kids doing? What are your grandkids doing? Stuff like that. And then we reminisce. Do you remember when? Remember when? Remember when? And it's not just at those places. Also, my, my cousin Glennie, he, he's named after my dad, whose name was Glenn. So Glenn's name is Glennie, my cousin Glennie. Um, he and I, we had pizza in town here. He happened to be in Kerbinsville a couple months ago. We had pizza together. In the midst of that uh, reminiscing, Glennie said something that I have heard those family members say. Here's a sentence. Steve, your parents were some of the finest people I have ever known. I want to tell you, they don't say that about all the family members. <laughs> they don't even say it about me, I'm sure, right? Your parents were some of the finest people I have ever known. Glenn and Mary Shields walked with an unhidden commitment to Christ that their son, Steve, was a little bit embarrassed by at times. Do they think we're holy rollers? Religious fanatics? Listen, I tell you that story not to say to you, if you're having a family reunion, you need to come to church first or you're not not a good person. That's not my point at all. Here's my point. Walk the walk that you walk with an unhidden commitment to Jesus Christ. And people will see that. And one day they'll see your good, good works and maybe say to your kids, those were the finest people I ever knew. And your kids will be able to say, they love Jesus. They love Jesus. We walk with an unhidden commitment. Third, like Jesus, we walk with unrelenting confidence. Look at verse 27. This is where he says, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. And and as he's saying that, there's a lot of talk about what does that mean. And some people say, well, you know, that means the transfiguration, which just follows in Luke. There's the kingdom of God. And was it James and John or Peter? I don't remember who. 
man, that's awful, I can't remember those details. But they got to see that, right? That's it. Well, maybe. Other people say, no, no, what he's talking about there when he says they're not going to taste death before they see the kingdom of God is a resurrection, you know? And they're going to see Jesus raised, the kingdom of God, maybe, maybe. Other people say, no, you know what? It's the Holy Spirit who comes at Pentecost. He's going to come later on, and there we'll see the kingdom of God. And, and maybe, maybe. Uh, the bottom line is, and I researched this to death, nobody knows. Nobody knows exactly what Jesus, good people, good scholars have opinions, uh, differing opinions about what that is. So no one knows for sure, but here's what we do know, and this is it. As we trust Jesus, crucified for our sins, our sins are forgiven. And we walk with unrelenting confidence. You see, because Jesus walked this road to the cross, into the resurrection, that sacrifice counted for any who would trust in him. And as we travel the road in which he leads, we travel with unrelenting confidence. We really want to walk as Jesus told us to walk. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We can do that. We can do that. (laughs) We do it as we trust the one who knew who he was, God in the flesh, Jesus. We do it as we trust the one who knew what he was doing, setting his face like flint for Jerusalem to pay for the sins of humankind. And we do it as we trust the one who knew there was no other way. And we trust him implicitly. I want to pray that we could do just that. If you're comfortable doing so, would you stand as I pray? Let's bow our hearts together. Father, we are thankful for your presence in our life. We're thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who walked the road to the cross intent on giving an unreserved sacrifice. He didn't hold anything back. He gave his very life. We trust him. We thank you, God, that he walked a walk with unhidden commitment. And so it's not some secret knowledge that Christians have. It's there for anyone. Whosoever will may come. And anyone who hears is welcome. And we thank you that we follow one who gives us unrelenting confidence. May we live lives that are pleasing to you, lives that demonstrate, that demonstrate we get it, that we get that Jesus was crucified for us, and lives that that are lived out of the fullness of joy that comes from knowing our sins are forgiven. Help us to, to see that, to see that you are the king of glory and light, that you are the giver of life, our maker and our redeemer, and that because of your work, the gates are open wide for us to worship you. May our lives be an expression of hosanna and praise to you, the way we walk. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.